Greetings to my lovely audience. My name is Sylvan. I use he, him pronouns, and welcome back to LGBTQSU. So I hope everybody's doing great today, and I hope that everybody is having a wonderful break so far. I would not know. I am still in the studio. This is still pre-recorded. <laughs> but, you know, I'm assuming that everything will be will be good, and I'm assuming that my finals will have gone well. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, no, I, I'm not assuming. My finals went well. My finals went well, and I did great. I am manifesting my destiny. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of manifesting to make sure that, like, you know, I get everything done. Because, you know, at, at this point, just for the record, it is currently December 5th uh, when I'm recording these, like, this episode and, you know, the, the other ones for, well, no, not all of the ones for break, but it's, it is currently December 5th. Um, and I've been manifesting that, no, I will have everything done. I am going to do great. Because, you know, manifesting is just fun. And uh, look, I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to get everything done and do great. And I'm going to work my butt off. But, you know, a little divine influence can't, you know, hurt anything. <laughs> so I might as well manifest and just make sure that I have a great time. And manifesting is you know, it literally doesn't hurt anything. So I highly recommend it. But anyway, that's not what today's episode is about. Today's episode is about being trans, but specifically to answer the question, so you think you're trans, now what? Because I I know that when I first realized that I was trans, I didn't really know what to do. And that's coming from somebody that has a trans parent. You know, like, it, it wasn't that, oh, no, I, I don't even know what the word is, or I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Like, I knew what being trans was, and I knew that, you know, it wasn't like a death sentence or anything like that, but I still didn't even really know what to do. So it would, you know, I would have appreciated having a podcast like this to tell me, you know, what direction that I can, with some directions that I can go in. And, you know, just a note, I am simply just... I am just a little guy. <laughs> I am just one little guy. Obviously, I don't have all the answers and everyone's experience is different. I am sharing anything and everything that I can think of that I would have thought to have been helpful or that I would think I would have found applicable or helpful when I first realized that I was trans or at least started thinking, oh, I think I'm trans. Because there is more discussion about it nowadays, especially, you know, on TikTok, since people are addressing some of the topics that aren't commonly discussed. But, you know, there's still there's still room for more discussion. And, you know, like there's there's still there's so much to talk about. And even today, like, I'm sure I'm going to think of, you know, at least three more things that I could have said the second I hit stop on the recording. You know, there's just so much and I can only share so much. And I don't have every single experience that everyone every trans person has ever had. I am doing the best that I can, but I am simply just one little guy. And for the record, I am going to be sharing some advice and some of my own, not like opinions, like, well, it is technically an opinion, but like, so I'm going to be sharing some of my ideas about certain aspects of transitioning and certain tips. And if you went against those things, and that's totally fine. You know, like I'm, some of these things, I went against that. And that's why I'm so for it now because I realized how badly it affected me. Um, so, you know, take take everything not, well, I don't want to say take it with a grain of salt because that makes it seem like this podcast doesn't, you know, it, it isn't even necessary. Um, but, you know, just if I am, if I am saying something that is against how you transitioned or what you think, that is fine. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And 
you know, feel free to share yours with me or with anybody else. Um, you know, especially on Instagram. Again, go follow the Instagram. How many times am I going to say that today? <laughs> uh, or just in, in these episodes. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we go into the now what, let's talk about what leads to that. So very first thing we're going to talk about is dysphoria, which I talked about in the second episode when we talked about different terminology that you should know. Um, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in depth today. Um, so according to psychiatry.com, the definition for gender dysphoria is a concept designated in the DSM-5, which for those who don't know, it's basically this big master book of psychological terms and conditions, which is commonly used by people in the psychiatry and psychology field. So anyway, a concept designated in the DSM-5 as clinically significant distress or impairment related to a strong desire to be of another gender, which may include desire to change primary and or secondary sex characteristics. Not all transgender or gender diverse people experience dysphoria. I am very happy that psychiatry.com included that part of it, but before we address that part of the definition, let's talk about the first part. Gender dysphoria is honestly kind of hard to explain because the most applicable way that I could explain it is, you know, everybody has some part of their body that they're insecure about. And these are things that trans people are insecure about, but not because we think that they're ugly or that, you know, it's not what people would find attractive, but because it makes us appear as a gender that we are not is kind of the best, like the best straight up way to say it. But I also really like, um, there's a there's a soda analogy which also is pretty good um, because a lot of people struggle to to imagine what it's like to to be trans and you know it's hard to imagine those feelings when you've never gone through them yourself um, so the soda can like the soda bottle analogy is imagine that everybody everybody on earth drinks soda everybody on earth drinks soda and primarily society understands that there's Pepsi and there's Coca Cola and everybody has a Coke can with Coke in it and a Pepsi can with Pepsi in it. I have a Coke bottle, but I actually like Pepsi and I drink Pepsi out of it. And, you know, for a really long time, people will see the Coke bottle and assume that, you know, there's there's Coke in there and, you know, address me as a Coke drinker. When in reality, I am I drink Pepsi and it is it is very important to me that people know that I drink Pepsi and present myself in that way. So I may, you know, change the label on my bottle or, you know, hide the part of the bottle that says Coke on it and just, you know, present as a bottle of soda, not a Coke or a Pepsi bottle, but just a bottle of soda. That's, that's the, that's the soda can analogy, basically. Um, it's not perfect, but it does kind of encapsulate more just the general feeling of it, I guess. Um, not, a, not so much the exact feeling of dysphoria, but the feeling of being trans and presenting in the way that doesn't match with it, that doesn't match with what's inside. Um, so that's an analogy that was actually pretty popular on Tumblr for a little bit. Um, that's where I found it. Um, but, you know, moving back to the psychiatry.com definition to the second half, not all transgender or gender diverse people experience dysphoria. That is not a requirement for being trans in all actuality. Medically speaking, it is still a requirement for dysphoria, which, you know, that's a whole other thing that we can get into, which I believe I mentioned back in that second episode that I want to talk about, like, dysphoria in full depth in, in its own episode. I still think that that's probably the best idea. But, you know, just still building on those ideas and going further in depth with it. Um, people that don't necessarily experience dysphoria 
are more so going to experience gender euphoria, which is feeling what I feel is more of like, I guess the qualifying factor of being trans, but I don't want to gatekeep being trans. It's that's just it opens the door for really bad things. And I don't like gatekeeping because, you know, your identity really doesn't affect me. So, you know, I guess if I were to put a qualifying factor on being trans, gender euphoria would probably be it because not everybody experiences dysphoria. But again, not going to gatekeep. So moving on from there. Um, not everyone experiences dysphoria. And additionally, not everyone experiences dysphoria early on in life. There's this idea that all trans people should have known their whole life, but at the same time, there's the idea that children are too young to know. So, you know, contradictions. But there is this idea that, you know, if, like, for people that come out in, like, their teen years or, like, any time in life besides, like, very early on, it's like, well, you know, I would have seen this when you were a kid. I, I, I would have seen the signs, which... To be fair, a lot of the times there are there are little signs, but not always. And not everyone experiences dysphoria early on in life. For, like, I didn't experience dysphoria until I hit puberty, which I talked about back in the first episode. Um, I didn't experience it because of the way that I was raised. Like, I did not really consider gender in my life. I knew it existed, and I knew that I was, you know, supposed to be a girl, but I didn't—gender wasn't really important to me until I hit puberty and the physical things happened. Um— and some people, they just don't even register those feelings until puberty or later on in life, or they don't have the words to describe it. Um, so not everyone, not every trans person experiences dysphoria early on in life. It can develop later on. Um, and also, final thing on the dysphoria is there's two main types of dysphoria that people will talk about. There's social and physical dysphoria. Um, and everybody that experiences dysphoria will experience those to different levels. Some experience severe social and physical dysphoria. Some people only experience really bad social, and some people will only experience really bad physical, many different combinations. So what is social and physical dysphoria? What is the difference? Social dysphoria relates to dysphoria relating to anything in regards to how people see and refer to you, while physical dysphoria is aspects of your physical person that make you dysphoric um so you know for social it might be you know your pronouns or your name or you know when somebody goes oh sorry ma'am or sorry sir stuff like that that's social while physical dysphoria is you know for a trans masculine person you know dysphoria over their chest appearing more feminine or for a trans feminine person um you know having really broad shoulders might cause physical dysphoria um for me, for example, I really only experience physical dysphoria in public for the most part relating to my social dysphoria because I have come to terms with how I look and I have come to terms with my own body and I accept it the way it is and, you know, I love my body. But it does make me viewed more as a woman or a feminine person a lot of the time. Um, so it, it affects my social interactions so that's really the only time that I experience physical dysphoria. Otherwise, I do, I do still have social dysphoria. I get upset and I, fe and I feel dysphoric when people refer to me by my dead name, uh, the wrong pronouns, or refer to me as ma'am, anything like that. So these are all different indicators of, you know, what might lead you to, to realize that you might be trans, um, like, you know, the dysphoria and the euphoria. So now that we've addressed what leads to that, Let's answer the question of now what? The first question you should ask yourself really is, do you want to transition? 
Most likely the answer is yes, but sometimes you're not ready and that's okay. Transitioning is a lot. There's a lot to deal with. It affects almost every aspect of your life. And also for some people, they may realize that their birth gender is not how they actually feel, but gender isn't enough of a big deal in their life to really pursue much of a transition. Um, I know, uh, and it also depends on like what type of transition, which, which leads into uh, the next thing, which is social versus medical and legal transitioning. Um, so the, uh, the story that I was about to go into is I remember watching a BuzzFeed video years and years ago about um, this person that identified as male and was born female, but didn't want to pursue any sort of physical medical transitioning. Um, he went by he, him pronouns with the ones, with the people in his life, um, but did not change any of his appearance and still presented very uh, femininely and didn't really mind. Um, so, you know, some people only want to transition in certain ways and that's totally fine. More on that later. But uh, more into the difference between social and medical and legal transitioning. So social transitioning is anything involving, you know, socializing with other people, mostly addressing social dysphoria. Of course, medical and legal can address those things as well, but you know, social is really about the social dysphoria. So changing your name, changing your pronouns, um, you know, getting your gender marker changed in school, kind of, um, you know, being referred to in those ways. Um, and also some people do consider social, dis social transitioning to include, you know, changing how you dress or cutting your hair or changing your hairstyle without any medical intervention. Um, I don't know whether I would consider that social or medical because, you know, it's not a medical thing, but, you know, socially, I don't know. You know, social versus medical and legal transitioning is not the only way to categorize it. There's, you know, th many ways to break it down, but for simplicity's sake, I figured that was probably the easiest way. So medical and legal transitioning is referring to anything that you know requires medical intervention, such as hormones and surgeries, which I will get more into later. And legal transitioning is anything involving the legal system, such as changing your name, changing your gender marker, which again, I will get more into those details later. So before you make any transitioning decisions, any at all, you really should be sure in yourself. And by that, I don't mean you can't have any doubts, especially if it's social transitioning, which can be fairly easily reversed. Um, and it won't really, I mean, it might have long lasting side effects in regards to like relationships with people or how they perceive you, especially if they're homophobic or anything like that. But there's, you know, that's complicated and convoluted. Um, but I don't mean that you can't have any doubts because I honestly don't think there's any trans person out there that has transitioned, that hasn't at one point doubted themselves that, is this really the right decision? Am I not, you know, am I faking it? Am I doing this for attention? Is this really something else? Is this really what I need? So by being sure of yourself, I don't mean 100% no doubts. Just being sure that this is what you want and that this is who you are. And if that does change, that's okay too. But be sure, be sure in yourself and your own identity before making any decisions, especially for medical and legal transition, because those are the ones that are really hard to reverse. Or if they do reverse, it will not reverse fully or without spending a bunch of money. <laughs> um, so yes, before you make any decisions, be sure in it. If choosing to transition, analyze your environment. Are you safe? Are the people in your life going to be supportive? If not, do you need to cut them out, not tell them, stay in the closet for a while till you're safe, 
such as if your parents won't support you and you're a minor and you rely on them, um, anything like that. Um, there are some questions to you know, make sure that coming out is not going to put you in more harm because, of course, coming out is can be ver is very important for many people and transitioning is an incredibly important thing for most transgender people, but it's more, it is important to keep yourself safe. So always analyze your environment first. So moving into more tips that I have and more explanation for certain things. Uh, for social transitioning, prepare. I mentioned this in my first episode, I believe. I came out as transgender and I it was not planned. It, it just happened. Um, the first time, that I tried to come out. It was kind of planned, but I was not ready, which goes into, again, of being sure in yourself before making any decision, because I was not sure enough in myself to defend myself and be able to come out the first time. And then the second time, it just happened completely out of the blue. I was not prepared for it, and it, it made it way more difficult for me than it probably could have been. Um, so to the best of your ability, don't go in blind, or you'll find yourself not exactly knowing how to handle it, especially if there's any pushback. Because if you're not, if you're not prepared for the pushback, then your brain kind of gets scattered and you don't really know what to do, and it's really stressful. So if you can help it to the best of your ability, prepare to come out and to make all these decisions first. Um, also, if you're testing a name or pronouns before coming out, ask a close friend to call you that for a bit. Um, you know, if you're if you're not really sure what pronouns are fitting, but you know that the ones you're using now aren't right, or the same with your name. You don't like your name now, but you're not exactly certain on which one to do. I recommend finding some names, either going onto a baby name website, looking up, you know, really cool names online, um, especially if you if you like a fantasy name, you can go onto, um, there's various websites that generate names for like fantasy books or stuff like that. You can go on there or, um, some people do find it important to include their parents in this or to have some sort of family background. So some people will ask their parents like, hey, what would you have named me if I hadn't been born this gender? Some people won't have a name for it. Some people will. Um, and you know, you might find, find out the name and be like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> I'm not, I don't wanna do that. Um, but there's lots of different ways that you can find a name and you know, find different pronouns to try. And for that, I recommend, you know, asking a close friend to call you that for a bit, narrating yourself doing things in your day-to-day -day with the right terms, such as, uh, you know, Sylvan is recording his podcast right now. He is doing very well in his classes, and he is having a great day. Sylvan is having a wonderful day. Stuff like that. It helps get you familiar, and it helps it feel more intimate and more real, and it gives you a more uh, specialized and, you know, specific feel for different names and pronouns. Um, also, you can go on TikTok, and I know that, um, I'm honestly blanking on the word to call it, but basically people are like making, like role-playing different scenarios, referring to you, the viewer, with certain pronouns. Um, so there's various ones on TikTok. It was a very popular trend a while ago. Gonna be honest, I'm not really sure how you would find those, but there are videos like that online, and diff very bit, you know, many different aspects and ways that you can try out various names and pronouns before publicly coming out. Um, further tips, preparing for mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. People are going to slip up. It's human nature, and especially depending on who you're dealing with, if they're older or just not really familiar with LGBTQ things, there may be more slip ups. Prepare for mistakes, 
but hold people accountable when you can. Important caveat, when you can. It is really hard to correct people sometimes. And sometimes you just can't, either for anxiety reasons or for safety, and that's okay. I don't correct every single person all the time. Some people, Sometimes I just don't have the energy or I don't feel safe enough to, or it's just a stranger and I'm never gonna see them again, and I just don't have the social energy to care enough to, to, to correct them. But it is really important to hold people accountable to, to use your right name and pronouns as much as you can. Don't put yourself in danger, but hold people accountable when you can. And if you're not able to do it, but it is safe to, you can ask a friend to correct people for you if they're comfortable with that. I know my sibling does a lot um, for me, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. Um, so you can ask a friend or a family member. You can wear pronoun pins. You can make them yourself pretty easily. There's some really easy uh, pin tutorials online. And also you can get them anywhere. Um, you know, lots of you know independent creators will make them, or you can get them from a lot of different stores nowadays, actually, especially during Pride Month. Um, but pronoun pins are actually really helpful. You know, sometimes people don't look at it, and that's that's really annoying, I will admit. It is so annoying when you're wearing a pronoun pin and nobody looks at it. But it is a really nice way to, you know, try to re reaffirm your pronouns and try to uh, influence people to use the right ones. And also, especially if you have social anxiety and don't, or just any sort of anxiety in re regards to a social setting, even if it's not full-blown social anxiety, um, but you just don't feel comfortable correcting people in front of others or in person, um, you can correct people later on in private and just give them like, hey, friendly reminder, I use these pronouns or I, this is my name. Or you can do it over text or an email. Um, you know, some, I was having some issues earlier this year with uh, teachers misgendering me a lot and I just did not have the, the social wherewithal to correct each and every person over and over again. So I just sent a mass email to all my teachers saying, hey, friendly reminder, I use he, him pronouns. Please use those. And it works. You know, I haven't gotten misgendered by a teacher in a while. Further tips for clothing. Um, again, this is the question of whether it's social transitioning or something else. But either way, clothing. There are so many guides online for tips for trans people to dress a certain way. So I won't go into it here because there are so, so, so many guides online. There's so many videos and like written articles. You can find it really easily. There are also guides for how to... Uh, for like different mannerisms and behavioral tips for passing um, because you know in our society men and women do act differently it's just the way that people are socialized um, so it's not absolutely vital for you to act or even to dress in the way that you know is the the norm for your gender you know I don't dress like a typical guy all the time I'm currently in a like crop top right now and I'm not binding so I don't dress. I don't dress as you know, typically masculine all of the time, and you don't have to. But if that is something that you want to do, there are different guides out there for different clothing tips, different mannerisms and behavioral tips um, for passing to you know help you feel a little better. And my last tip for social transitioning is to find support groups online or in person, especially if you don't have people in your personal life to support you. Not having support is painful. It is so difficult and just makes this whole experience 10 times harder than it already is. So finding support groups is really helpful because it's people that are going through the same thing as you or people that have already gone through it and are, you know, have 
done it before and have more experience dealing with it and they can help you. Some of those places you can find them, um, a lot of schools will have them, depending on you know where you are in the, in the country. You might not have them in your school, but there might be a nearby school or like a college or university tend to have them more than high schools do. Like if your high school doesn't, maybe a local college does. And also a lot of places host them in libraries. I'm not sure why, <laughs> like I'm not sure why this happens, but a lot of people have support groups in libraries for LGBTQ people. I think maybe it's just because libraries are easy to rent out, I guess. I'm not sure, but there are a lot of support groups that meet in libraries. So maybe check your local library to see if there are any. So those are my tips currently for social transitioning. Moving on to medical and legal transitioning. So this is, there are tips at the end, but the first, the, the first part of this is going to explain the different medical and legal avenues that you can go as a transgender person. So for medical things, there are two big things that you can do. There are hormone replacement therapy and different surgeries. So for a transmasculine person, you would possibly go on testosterone. Um, that is the masculinizing hormone that is in people's bodies. Everyone has testosterone, just as everyone has estrogen, which is part of what a transfeminine person might take. But for a masculine presenting person, like a biologically male person, uh, their body is run on testosterone. Uh, so if you're transmasculine, you might take that in order to masculinize your body and your features. So there are different methods for how to take testosterone. There are injections, which is the most common one. Uh, usually people will inject once a week. However, I take it twice. Uh, I take it every two weeks. Um, it's just the different levels and the different types of testosterone that you can take. Um, so injection is the most common for testosterone, but it is not the only one. For anybody that has a fear of needles and wants to go on testosterone or estrogen for the matter, um, injections are not the only method. There's also gels and patches. Um, so those are topical things. A gel you apply every day and a patch, um, it depends on which one, but those typically last a few days to a week. Um, and it's just a topical treatment um, that can result in some, you know, like skin irritation and stuff, but uh, that's a really good option for people that don't like injections. Um, there's also a newer method, which is an implant that secretes it. Um, it goes in your arm, I believe, um, and it, you replace it every few months, um, and it just re it, uh, releases testosterone slowly. I believe it functions in a similar way to like Nexplanon, which is a birth control, which is actually something that I have currently. Um, it's just like a, an inject, you know, get a shot in your arm and it puts this little stick in there and it just secretes hormones in order, well, for testosterone to release testosterone, but for Nexplanon, it's, you know, be birth control. Um, and lastly for testosterone is pills. Um, the implant and pills are absolutely the least common, um, especially the implant, because that one's so new. Um, a lot of insurances don't cover that one. Um, gel patch and pills can also have some issues with getting it covered. Injections is the most easily covered just because it's the most common and it's the most, um, like it's been around longest. Uh, so those are typically covered by insurance pretty easily. But again, if you don't like injections, there are other methods. For a trans feminine person, uh, there's three different things that you might take. There's estrogen, testosterone blockers, and progesterone. Testosterone blockers are kind of important because it's, it's harder to get an AMAB body to to morph more in the direction of an AFAB body than the other way around. So it's harder to, to lower the testosterone naturally with just the estrogen. So you might take testosterone blockers as well as estrogen or progesterone, which is another hormone involved in those kinds of things. For estrogen, the most commonly the most common methods are pills. 
um, as well as gel and patch, and there's also a spray for that one, which I am actually not familiar with whatsoever. Um, I actually only learned that today when I was doing my research for this episode. Um, and for estrogen, there is injections, but that's actually the rarest form that it, that is used because it is incredibly inconsistent uh, levels of estrogen, which for testosterone injections, it isn't the most consistent like with gel or a patch where it's a daily, uh, daily ad- administer. But for estrogen, it's way harder on you emotionally and physically to have those inconsistent levels. So injections are the least used. Um, you get hormones through either your endocrinologist, which is somebody that works with hormones and stuff, or your primary care physician, so your normal doctor. Though I don't, I do know a few places that a few people that go through places like Planned Parenthood. So those aren't your only options. Those are just usually where you go. Um, in order to get on hormones, in most states, it is required to have a letter of approval by a therapist. Um, so typically, a lot of places will require you to go to therapy for six to twelve months and get a letter from a therapist. However, I actually have a huge, 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 huge thing that I want to share because this is how I got hormones. There is a program called the Gallup program. It is the Gender Affirming Letter Access Program. It is a bunch of gender therapists all across the country that have vowed to get out these letters to people for free because gender gender therapy like gender affirming therapy and care is incredibly expensive. It is so expensive and for some people it is completely inaccessible because of where they live. So um, the gender affirming letter access program was so unbelievably helpful for me. I literally cried when I found out about this because I was so excited. Um, so there aren't every there isn't a therapist for every single state. Um, you know, there wasn't one for Delaware, which I was really afraid of. But actually, thankfully, because of COVID, a lot more therapists are able to work with people outside of their state and still have it work and be approved. So that's actually a really good benefit. So please look up Gallup, G-A-L-A-P, Gender Affirming Letter Access Program. If you want to go on hormones and need help getting a therapist or need help getting that letter, also not even just for hormones, for surgeries as well, that's often required too, look at the Gallup program. So continuing on, because I'm actually going, I'm already a little over half an hour here. So going on to, to finishing this up, the other medical transition uh, procedures that you can look into is surgeries. Uh, for masculinizing surgeries, there's what's referred to as top surgery. It's essentially a mastectomy, but it is not just removing the tissue. It is masculinizing the torso as well um, to give you more of a pec shape or just a flat masculine shape. And then there's also bottom surgery, which there's two main types for a masculinizing, uh, for a transmasculine person. There's phalloplasty and metoidioplasty. Um, phalloplasty, they take a skin graft from your arm or your leg to form the phallus. And metoidioplasty, they run the urethra through your bottom growth, uh, you know, for, for censorship, I will just call it bottom growth, in order to make it more of a functioning phallus. There are other kinds of surgeries, um, I believe, but those are the two main ones. And another additional surgery that one might pursue if you're looking for masculinizing surgeries is abdominal masculinization. That's just kind of a newer thing, and it is often done in tandem with top surgery. Basically, they suck fat from your hips and your waist, or from your basically from your lower hip region, and move it up to straighten out your torso more. Um, this is very common for people who testosterone didn't fully um, masculinize your torso enough for themselves to be confident. Um, And it just helps you to just masculinize the torso even more. 
for feminizing surgeries, there is, it's sometimes referred to as top surgery, but more referred to as just breast augmentation. Um, estrogen will, um, estrogen will feminize your, your top section, <laughs> um, but it's not always enough for certain trans feminine people. So they might get a breast augmentation, which is something that cis women get all the time. Um, but it just, you know, gives a, a bigger breast appearance. Um, and then there's bottom surgery, again, for feminizing surgeries that is usually referred to as vaginoplasty. Um, I'm not familiar with any other terms for it. I believe it's basically the same kind of surgery all around, um, but that would be called vaginoplasty. And an additional surgery that a feminizing, uh, that a trans feminine person, oh, excuse me, that a trans feminine person might pursue is facial feminization surgery. So AMAB faces tend to be very structured and it's very, it's because of the bones there. So estrogen won't really do much for that. Facial feminization surgery, the exact procedure depends on the person and their face, but a lot of it involves shaving down the bone in certain areas and adding certain fat to other areas to feminize the face. Um, so none of these surgeries are mandatory at all, but these are different surgeries that you might pursue. In regards to the legal things, uh, the two things that you might do are changing your name and your gender marker. Uh, gender marker is like what you see on your license for what gender you are. Uh, for both of those that involves going to the courthouse and talking to your doctor, it is a whole very, very long and somewhat expensive process depending on where you are. Um, so I'm actually in pursuit of changing my name legally. It's just a lot of paperwork and a lot of money. Um, so that's a, that is a very long process that I can't really go into detail of because I'm not totally sure of the intimate details and it really depends on your state as well. Um, however, you can also get your name changed in certain systems, just not legally. Um, like if you can't do the legal route, you can change it like at your doctor and they will be able to fix it. If your doctor says they can't fix it, they're lying to you. They are lying to you. They can put it somewhere in your chart. They are lying to you if they say they can't. So those are the legal things. Um, so in regards to tips for medical and legal transition, seriously use the Gallup program. It's not a joke, please use it. <laughs> not a lot of people know about it and it makes me so upset. Um, so further tips, go into whatever office you're going to, whether it's for medical or legal transition, knowing what you want and what it will do and what process you need to go through. It saves you a lot of time and stress and it shows the doctor you're serious or the person in the courthouse that you're serious and also, for specifically with symptoms and stuff for medical things, not all doctors, especially if you're just going to your PCP, don't really know all of the ins and outs of it. So it's better to not rely on your doctor for every single detail of your transition, um, just because they may not know it. Uh, another tip, insurance sucks. A lot of insurances won't cover certain transitional things. Um, you know, a lot more are covering that, especially some more uh, like public uh uh, excuse me, some more public insurances are starting to cover more and more transitional care, but also insurances will do anything and everything to not give you money. Doesn't matter what you're doing it for. They don't want to give you money. GoFundMe and other things like that is a really great idea to get the money together to get surgeries or hormones. It is a long and difficult process, no matter what it, you're getting. So hormones and surgeries can take a really long time to either schedule or to take and to, you know, get effects. And for legal stuff, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. Having support is absolutely vital. From friends, family, support groups, anything that you can get, support is absolutely vital. And a final thing, um, if you don't want to transition medically or only do certain medical transitions, 
that is fine. You are totally valid. None of this is required as a trans person. I will say, though, for the legal side, getting your gender marker changed, if you don't pursue any medical transition, it's going to be a lot harder if impossible, if not impossible. So that is one thing that I will say in regards to what you want to do in regards to your medical transition. But it is it is not totally impossible, I believe, just depending on who you're working with and where you live. So that kind of that that actually wraps up the whole episode. I'm actually you know, a little bit over time, but you know, the last episode is a little short, so it makes up for it. <laughs> so I hope this was helpful and I hope maybe you guys learned something new. Um, I, I certainly did. I learned more about estrogen because I, I didn't, I don't really know a whole lot about estrogen seeing as I don't have to take estrogen hormone replacement therapy. I had to take testosterone. <laughs> so I'm not as familiar with that. So I learned something about that. Um, and if you ever need any more support or if you need any more specific resources, please feel free to reach out. Do not hesitate to reach out over the Instagram page um, or to anybody in your life. Reach out. There are people around uh, around you and or if not around you, there are people out there that will help you and that love you and want to support you in your transition. And no matter what you do for your transition or if you realize, you know, you come out as trans and then realize eventually later down the line. Actually, no, I don't think this is right. You are completely and utterly 100% valid. Everything that you do for yourself in your transition is for yourself. So do what makes you happy. And if it's not making you happy in, you know, 10 years, you can deal with it then. So that wraps up today's episode. Hope everybody has a wonderful week and I will see you next time. Have a good one, everybody. 